Thank you everyone for joining us today for Hold My Ice Coffee podcast. Today we have Sergeant Wesley Pennington, who is a Rhode Island state trooper. He is a winning high school football coach, president of Rally Point Men's Ministries, a pastor at Sacred Exchange Fellowship in East Greenwich, um, where I go to church. And he's a wonderful husband and father. And we also love his wife, the beautiful and talented Marissa Pennington. So thank you, um, Wes, for being on our podcast and we're really happy to have you here thank you for having me i appreciate it and i welcome you too nice to virtually meet you because i don't go to elena's church i live in connecticut (laughs) (laughs) but um we're honored to have you on the show and i just want to start out with just saying you know in the next 30 minutes or so i would like you to like solve all the problems for us tell us how to, to 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 you know, maneuver in these divisive times and give us a quick solution that's not going to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joking about that, but I was thinking about it when I was put. We were asking the questions, and I was like, "What do I want to say?" and all that. And I was like, so hmm. wanting to lead you because I was like, "Whatever you say, I know somebody's going to yell at me." And I'm just, I was so anxious about that, that I, I found myself wanting to shut the conversation down and, and to not, not give you freedom to share what you you've seen and your insights, because I'm, I'm going to have to defend them. <laughs> and, if, and it's, and it's sad that that's where we are right now. in all of this is that I have to defend your right to even say anything mm-hmm. because, and, and that's sad because we are all um, part of the solution. Mm. And also, I, I confess that I struggle with that. And I told you, like, I, I want to be accountable to that and to just let you speak because I know you have a lot of insight about that. So, um, so that's, that's where I'm coming at this from. And, and I wanted to start with just asking you, like, how you are doing in all of this, like how you personally feel, because I think it's also a traumatic time to see this happening in our country. So how are you personally feeling about all of this? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, uh, to be honest, up until uh, probably Friday of last week, I, uh, I, I probably really didn't never really confronted uh, my feelings on it, you know, and um, on Friday I was sent down to uh, to the protest, and um, as I was uh, standing there watching the protesters uh, walk by, and I was reading some of the signs, and uh, some of the people were kind of making comments towards me, and um, and it really kind of made me realize that you know I'm kind of like I'm like three different trains of thought going on within one body, you know, um, there's the African-American male, me, uh, that was standing there and, you know, was angry and could feel their anger and understand, uh, their passion. Um, there was the, uh, state trooper in me who, um, was kind of looking at it from, you know, other angles, uh, looking at it, uh, in an order, law and order type of a angle. And then there was the the pastor in me um, that, you know, wanted to cry with them and, you know, wanted to console and, and have compassion for everything that's going on. So I had all these different emotions kind of jumbled within me. And I really, um, really couldn't 
figure out where where I am in all of this, you know. Um, and, 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 you know, I really had to pray about that and had to kind of sit down and, and really think about it and, and kind of parse it out, you know. And I, I started to – I realized that even though I, I kind of experienced them individually in those three phases, um, they're really all me. And that's who I am. And um, it gives me a unique place in all of this to kind of see things from all those different angles. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of brought me to a place where I feel comfortable that I can now talk about it. I can kind of explain how I feel about it um, because um, I'm uniquely placed in a situation where um, I can ex- I can I can understand the different angles, um, you know, and, and with God's help. Uh, bring that into some type of uh, understanding, at least for myself. So, if you're asking how I'm doing, I'm doing okay. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's it. I I I waffle. I waffle back and forth between uh, trying to understand, uh, being understanding of a situation and in pain and hurt and struggle uh, to being hurt uh, as a, a pastor for the my nation and my country. Uh, so I kind of bounce back and forth all those different emotions. Do you do you ever struggle with feeling like like you just want to fix it and and see and and the despair of feeling like it's kind of a problem that's not going away. It's just something that we can make better. But I I think that's something that I have a hard time with is realizing um it's just watching the problem be a problem for so long. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's um, one of the biggest frustrations that we see people with these days um, is you have this problem, you know, um, and, and it's obvious there's a problem um, and people don't know how to fix it, you know, and thus the frustration uh, comes. And, you know, in, in, in my understanding and in my uh, thinking is that, you know, we have to, you have to be kind of connected to like a higher power. See, as a Christian, I, I have to understand that I can't fix everything that I'm not in control of everything. Um, and, and, and being able to kind of put myself in that place in the situations like this, I can kind of understand that, okay, this is something as an individual, as much as I would like to run out, cause I'm a fixer, I'm a doer. Um, as much as I'd like to go out and do that and, and, and fix this whole problem that it's out of my hands. It's bigger than I am. Um, and it being bigger than I am, the bigger solution that needs to be had in order to solve it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, and and that's really encouraging too. Wow, good job for a question I didn't prepare you for. Yeah, that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that has incredible depth. And Cindy and I were talking before, saying that it, there's so much complexity there, and that's why when you you had a Facebook post that you posted just about how many different pieces are inside of you that that really echoes with the complexity that I think a lot of people are feeling. And I was wondering, you know, with Father's Day coming up too, you know, happy early Father's Day. And it's just been such a great, amazing journey. I've heard some of your story and um, Marissa's story um, with your beautiful um, daughter, Eliana, and you have another daughter, Ashley. And how how do you see fatherhood and the hope of fatherhood as sort of um, impacting either this issue or any issue? What do you, what role do you feel fathers have to play in this? And and how is fatherhood for you? How much time do we have? 
<laughs> I know it's such a great topic. It's close to my heart. We'll have you back to talk more about that. <laughs> yeah, part two. <laughs> One of the things that uh, you know, with the ministry that I had, uh, the thing that you know God has shown me over the years is that unfortunately we've lost fatherhood um, over the generations. You know, it, it all started in World War II. Uh, when a whole generation of men go off to war, and a lot of those men don't come back home. And each time we have a war, men go off to war and they don't come back home, which leaves uh, fatherless uh, children, that leaves uh, uh, women without their husbands. And what ends up happening is you end up having a generation of people that grow up without their fathers. And when we grow up without our fathers, we lose that touch with our father. We lose that, that ability to kind of connect to our father and to what it means to be a father. So we lose the ability to father, if that makes sense. Um, and, yeah. you know, and one of the things that, you know, now, which is what the rally point is, is we're calling the fathers back uh, to their children, to their wives, to uh, their ministries, to the things of God that God's called us to. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a difficult job being a father and a mother. It's a difficult job being a parent, uh, especially in these times. Uh, because our kids are growing up in a world that's totally different than the world that we grew up in. Um, and so to be able to navigate through that uh, is going to be a super, super challenge. And the, the only thing that I can kind of advise my daughters on um, is is to be true to who you are and, um, you know, see people as people. You know, we're all human. You know, uh, try not to, yeah. to get in a, a, a practice of placing people in categories or uh, in groups, um, but meet people for who they are and see humans as humans and, you know, um, and treat them that way, you know, and, and be respectful to those. Like, you know, like the Bible says, you know, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, you know, uh, and just be respectful to each other. I mean, that's kind of the, the crux of this whole problem is that we've lost the human touch, you know, um, thinking about this officer and, you know, having a knee on this man's neck and he's saying, I can't breathe. Um, but yet you continue to do it. You know, you've lost humanity. The human part of that has been lost, you know, and, and somehow he saw him as less than a human being, you know? So if I can advise my daughters and, and when I do talk to my, my older daughter and when I, when Eliana gets of age where she can understand, I'm going to tell him that, you know, we're all human. We're all put here. We're all the same, you know, we're all built the same and God made us all the same. So um, he expects us to treat each other the same and, and have that respect and love for each other um, that that we expect for people to have for us. Yeah, I heard a quote that I, I've been saying all the time because I love it so much that the work of anti-racism is teaching humans to be better humans to other humans. Absolutely. And I was like, oh, that just puts such a good perspective on it. So I love that. Oh, and also we are going to you are a Rhode Island state trooper. And thank you for your service in the middle of a very uh, frustrating time to be a state trooper. Um, and how did you become interested in law enforcement? And I'm pretty sure it was the boots, right? You wanted to like the, the Rhode Island state trooper boots. That's what drew you in, right? Yeah, boots, yeah. I don't think everybody that's listening knows, but Rhode Island state troopers wear like boots up to your knees, right? That are yeah. laced up. It's a, it's. So anyway, that's what drew you in, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's actually an interesting story. Um, my how I got pulled into law enforcement. Um, it actually happened at a very young age for me. Um, I was six years old, and I was uh, on a, a road trip with my parents heading to Connecticut to visit family members that we have there. And uh, my father got pulled over by a Connecticut state trooper. And I can remember being in the back seat and uh, watching this uh, man get out of the car. And he had his Stetson on, he had glasses on, and he had the cross strap, and the cross strap buckle was all shiny and sparkling. And, you know, he's walking up, and I'm just looking at him, and I'm just like, whoa. I was like, wow, like, like this is what I want to do. And there's nothing else that I want to do. You know, and really, from that moment on, there was no number two in reference to what I wanted to be and, and what I wanted to do in life. So the guy gave your dad a ticket, and, and you're like, <laughs> that's what I want to do with my life. Probably. <laughs> that's awesome. But, you know, um, I, I believe that in that moment, God was showing me a picture of, you know, what I would be doing. And, you know, that development in me um, throughout the years, uh, just he's created a soldier in me. You know, I, I was in the Army. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, was in the first Gulf War, uh, came out of there, went right into a uh, police officer in West Warwick, uh, town of West Warwick. And uh, then I became a state police officer. And so to me, as I look on my life, I see uh, just this continual training of of uh, the promoting of being a soldier. And, and, and you know, and you might think that, um, how do the two connect? But as a pastor, um, that's that's my job. I'm, I'm a soldier for God. I'm, I'm in his army. And um, all of those different aspects come in and play a role in my being able to do that effectively. And I do want to say, um, I joke about that getting a ticket, but I actually... I got pulled one time for a speeding ticket that I don't want to confess to how bad it was, <laughs> but um, I was, I was pregnant. I was in a really bad mood. I had both my other kids in the car. So a baby in a baby's toddler car seat, my other kid and the police officer walked up to my car and was like, I cannot believe that you're putting these kids lives at risk like this. And he chewed me out. And he said, I would take your license right now, but I'm going to make you go to driver safety class. Wow. And my son was sitting beside me in the car and he was four years old and he started praying and I yelled at him. And I was like, I got a ticket now. What you praying for? <laughs> Which was horrible, <laughs> low point for me as a mom. But God worked in that because I, I have really bad anxiety and I would get in the car and I would drive way too fast. And this police officer chewed me out. And like hit the nail on the head, everything the problem was. And I went to a driver safety class and the teacher started out the class to asking about um, car issues. And then she said, you know, sometimes we ask God why he lets all these bad things happen in the world. And in this class, I'm like, why is God so good to us and sparing yeah. us because of the stupid things like we do, like how we drive. Yeah. And I have always remembered that. And that's been 24 years. Um, and I always think about that and pray because I don't want to be a bad driver. I don't want to hurt anybody else, but it was a police officer that stopped me and, and changed, probably saved, all, probably saved all my kids and somebody else too. So oh. anyway, it's very there, important. Even yeah. though I joke about tickets, like nobody really wants one, but I'm glad they're out there. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it causes people to, to slow down, you know, and the one thing um, we can't uh, we can't understand or, or see the lives that are saved due to that ticket that you hand out. Um, but you have to know that lives are being saved because if those tickets weren't handed out, right. people would speed and then the crashes would happen and it would be like really bad crashes because the speeds would be so high and there would be a lot of loss of life. You know, so. mm. And no doubt you've seen some traumatic things along the way too that you've had to really pray through and work through being, you know, that God's given you this, this opportunity to kind of be there at a moment that where things have just seriously happened. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, um, someone once said to me, uh, because one of the worst things that I have to do as part of my job is uh, to deliver what's called a death notification. And that's when someone dies on a highway, family needs to know that this happened, and they usually send um, an officer or a trooper to go to the house to inform the family of this uh, horrific incident. You know, and I can remember one day sitting down and thinking to myself, what could be worse than this? Like, like what can anybody say to anyone that can be worse than what I have to do given these situations. And, you know, after 30 minutes of sitting there, I mean, I couldn't come up with anything because at least if, if someone uh, goes to the hospital and at the hospital uh, they said, well, this might end badly and they call you into the hospital on your way to the hospital, you're kind of saying to yourself, you know what? We got called to the hospital. Something bad has happened. And you're kind of starting to prepare yourself for what potentially could be bad news. Um, but when, when I have to do it, it's usually at two, three, or four o'clock in the morning, where people are awoken from a dead sleep, um, and it's a shot square in the face, and you know there's no preparation for it. There's nothing that anyone can do, and it's the worst thing that can ever happen. It's the worst news that can ever come. Um, so having to you know do those things, you know, really kind of caused me to struggle with that and struggle with actually the job. Because uh, that's it's really disheartening, you know, uh, to do that. But someone said, you know, who who better, you know, to do it? It's a, it's a it's a horrible horrible thing to have to do. But who better than you? So you know, not that I want to do it, you know, um, but I I kind of took on a different um, look at it, you know, in reference to having to do that. Um, but it's it's you know, being a police officer isn't easy. There's a lot of aspects to the job that make it a very difficult job to do. And that's definitely probably the most hardest thing to do. Mm, definitely. Can't even imagine. Um, but uh, that perspective is really, you know, it, it it's kind of the bird's eye perspective of it, of that there's something that's sacred that's going on when you show up. And also because you're a believer in Jesus, you're bringing mm. that Holy Spirit in that moment. Right. And, you know, I, that's one of the words that when I think of you um, at church, I really, um, just on a personal, feel the presence of peace um, from you. And I don't think that's an accident that you've been through those traumatic events and have brought that um, to where you're going. And so even in the midst of whatever, all the things that are going on today, just last Sunday, that spirit of peace was there as you were praying. And it's inexplicable. Nothing had necessarily changed, but you were asking us to come into alignment with the Holy Spirit, what God is doing. And 
there was such a sense of peace. You know, we were all meeting at the in the parking lot of Sacred Exchange. Everyone was six feet apart, but there was this indescribable peace. And what I love what you've done with Rally Point is you another word that I think describes you is vision because you have this incredible vision for how men can come together and make a difference with their families. And I think that's where it starts with their families. And, you know, on a personal note, coming myself from a family where my daughters don't have their dad at home and going through divorce, I have had to seek out other men who would be father figures. My dad has been a father figure amazingly for my daughters, but I know how important that is. And it's like, I almost want to cry when I hear you talk about rally point because how many men might walk away from their families if they didn't have that. So I want to say thank you for that. And how did you get the vision to create rally point men's ministry? Well, you know, um, me and a friend of mine um, were sitting around one day and we were uh, discussing what does a man of God look like? And, you know, the question, it just realized, I realized that, you know, if we asked uh, 10 different people, we'd probably get 10 different answers on what a man of God looks like. So, you know, um, I'm one that uh, when I have a question in my mind, I I go and I research. So I just started looking and researching and and asking God about it and and asking him to show me what a man of God looks like, you know. And the obvious answer is Jesus, right? That's the obvious answer. Um, But, you know, God brought me to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he brought me to the Beatitudes. And, you know, I I'd probably had read those many times. Um, but in reading it in that moment, I started to see a character being built and described. And and as I'm reading through these attitudes that Jesus is describing, blessed are the meek, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, and, and, and I'm realizing that these are all characteristics that he displays. This makes up him. You know, and, and, and if we could kind of get this, you know, and this is the man of God. This is the man of God that Jesus is, that he wants us to be like, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I had a conversation with Pastor Mike and, you know, a couple other people. And, you know, I said, I just really feel strong that God's calling men back. That, you know, scripture says that in the last days, um, he's going to call the men back to their fathers, back to their, to their families, uh, back to their children. You know, um, and it's time, you know, uh, it's time. And, and, you know, God just kept revealing uh, different uh, truths to me, uh, which opened up a lot more revelation towards me on this uh, topic. You know, uh, 90% of all women that are incarcerated are incarcerated that are, are fatherless. Um, seven, 80%, 80% of all men incarcerated are fatherless. Um, so there are, there's a generation and then we have, then we have, you know, babies having babies, you know, and, and not having this concept of fatherhood because they didn't have fathers, you know? Um, so we've lost this idea. And now the, the problem is, is that now we, we, we ask these guys, these, these men that come into the church and we ask them to relate to a father in heaven. So how can I relate to a father in heaven when I've never had a father and I have no idea what that looks like, what that relationship is. Right. So how do, how do you how do you broach that? You know, um, and thank God, God's given us spiritual fathers. He's given us um, grandfathers. He's given us uncles. He's given us different men that can come in and, and kind of pick up that role. But the truth is, there's nothing like a father. There's no really replacement. It's like there's no replacement for the mother. 
there's really no replacement for a father, especially in the life of a young girl, in the life of a young boy. Um, you know, and, and, and so the ministry was set up in order to um, kind of as a rally call, as a call out, you know, to men to come, come, hear the message, come, come back, you know, come back, come back and, and, and pick up the mantle that we dropped because we dropped it. It's our fault. You know, the way that the world is set up now, the way that, you know, things are, it's our fault. We've dropped the mantle and it's time for us to pick it back up. You know, uh, I really believe that uh, Satan's biggest um, victories um, in heaven have been the displacement of the family. Uh, because when God made men, he made them male and female and he brought them together and made family. And and so the whole aspect of a heavenly uh father's plan is to bring family together and so satan comes in and he disrupts that family and he divides that family he takes has taken the man right out of the family um, and has caused a big divide so the mission for rally point is to bring the man back into the family to pick up the role that they're supposed to that we're supposed to pick up and to be whom we're called to be and the word rally point um, is a military term um, and it, what it means is it's 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 a it's a central location where when you've gone out to battle, when you've gone out to war, when you're when you fought on the front lines and you're injured, you're hungry, you're lacking information, you retreat back to the rally point, um, and you regain information, you're resupplied, you're re-energized, and then you can go back into the battle and fight uh, fight more. Um, and uh, you know, a great picture of a rally point scripturally is uh, the upper room. You know, the scripture says they were there uh, in the last supper, with the last supper. Um, and Jesus tells them before he gets taken up to heaven to stay in Jerusalem until the gift my father will give you uh, comes. We know that to be approximately 50 days or so between the time of uh, Jesus' crucifixion and the time of the spirit of God being uh, sent on the day of Pentecost. So we know that they stayed in the upper room in that same location because Jesus had given them direction earlier saying, when you go out, when he sent them out two by two, when you go into a town, stay in one location, don't jump from house to house or building to building, stay in one location. So we know the instruction that was given to them. So there's a great chance that they stayed there. Plus, we know that they stayed there because there were two on the road to Emmaus that encountered Jesus after he was crucified. And it says that he went back to the upper room where the others were still located and told them what had happened. So that's a great picture of a rally point um, where you can come in, you can get resupplied, you can get re-energized, you can meet Christ there, right? Um, and um, then go back out into the battle, go back out into the fight and be effective. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So switching gears just a little bit with um, all the things that have happened in our country recently, and there's so much divisiveness and all, how do we get to a meaningful solution in the middle of all this messy dialogue? Yeah. <laughs> really oh. quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you break that down? <laughs> so the, the, you know, the easy answer. All right. Um, the quick answer is um, love. You know, um, and, and that sounds uh, to me when I when I hear it myself, even saying it, it, it sounds too simple. Right. It sounds really too easy. 
But the reality is, is that if we actually uh, produce love for each other like we're supposed to, then these things don't happen. Um, you know, Jesus said that, that the, when, he, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the two greatest commandments, love your father, your God, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the second is love your, love your neighbor. He goes, and if you follow these two commands, you followed the entire law and all the prophets and everything that's written in the Bible. You've, you followed it. Because by loving your fellow man, you're not going to covet them, their, their things. You're not going to murder them. You're not going to steal from them. Right? So you, you, you cover the whole spectrum of, uh, of the law. Right? Um, so that, that's the quick, easy answer. Um, my, my struggle is, is that, um, and, and, and this, goes, this goes deeper than just um, a secular problem. Um, we have this problem in the church as well. You know, either either we're saying, well, it's really not my problem. Or like you said, it's the extreme where we're going crazy and, and we're destructive. Right. But the reality is, is it's all of our problem. It is our problem. Right. Um, and it comes down to us being able to open our eyes and say, you know what? Yeah. You know, we have to be intentional in this. Um I can't be comfortable in my setting. You know, I, I can't be comfortable um, in my surroundings. I, I literally have to kind of make myself uncomfortable. I have to put myself into situations, into places um, where I'm going to encounter people that are different than me. And I'm going to get an opportunity to understand them and see what makes them tick. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's the thing that breaks down racism. That's the thing that breaks down um, discord is, you know, is the, an understanding of, who and how a person operates and does things. Um, my 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 biggest thing is is you know I, I tell police officers and other troopers all the time, if you know you have an implicit bias towards someone, if you have a bias, you have a, a, a inclination to dislike a certain race, a certain type of person. Um, then, in order to overcome that bias, you actually have to find opportunities to encounter people. That you have the bias against um and in doing that that allows you to break those barriers that allows you to overcome those things so that when you encounter situations dealing with those types of people you don't react poorly see the problem is, is that a lot of us and, and talking from a police officer perspective now a lot of us have biases that we don't understand we don't even know they're there and the problem with the bias is if we don't know it's there it's liable to come out at the wrong time. So your bias comes out or it's spurred out by a, an incident, by a situation that you're involved in. And all of a sudden you find yourself acting out and doing something that's improper. And it's totally out of character. Or at least you believe that it's out of character for you. But it's simply a bias that you've had that was sitting there dormant this whole time that now raised its ugly head, so to speak. And I, I feel like we're afraid to confront our biases, like people. And that's something that I've just seen so much recently is people, if you try to talk to them about it, they feel like that you are destroying their whole character, um, which I feel like Christianity should give us the freedom to say, hey, you know, I'm still growing. <laughs> and like, cause, yeah. because um, 
we know that we're messed up and that God adores us anyway. So we get to be better and right. we should be okay with, um, with realizing we need to grow. But it, it's, it's interesting for me to see how much people are just ready to just attack you. If you say, Oh, you might need, like, you might not understand everything there is to understand. Right. Right. Maybe it's easier because right. me, because it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I don't know. Really. I got a lot of areas where I need to grow. So. No, but I mean, you know, and that's, and that's the job of the church, right? Um, because I mean, Jesus, we, we never saw, we didn't see Jesus sitting with his disciples in a segregated area, just teaching them and saying, this is just for you. He, he encountered people. He went out, he found the lepers, he found uh, the sick and, and, and he encountered them. You know, his whole group was made up of dysfunctional people, you know, and, and, and so as a church, that's kind of like our jobs. But I, I think we've gotten to a place where we're, we're comfortable in our denominational circles. We're comfortable in our church bodies. And, you know, cause I'm around a lot of people like me and think like me and, you know, and this is comfortable and, and really, you know, that's, that's really not my problem over there. It's happening and I'm sad about it, but you know, maybe God will do something, but God's saying, I've put you there. I, you're the church. You're my body. You're my hands. You're my feet. You're my, my arms. You're the ones that should be reaching out and hugging these people and loving on these people and, and outraged uh, when an innocent man dies on the street in front of, in broad daylight. You know, this, this is, a, this is an issue, a problem for all of us, you know? So we have to kind of, we have to be intentional as a church. We have to, we have to step out of our comfort zones and step into places that that we're uncomfortable with. And this whole race issue is a very uncomfortable issue to deal with. If I if I could, I would I would I would take churches and I would take a church that's predominantly um a white church and a church that's predominantly black church and I would say fellowship together. Get together. <laughs> I would do that all over the state. Yeah. You know, and I would have churches, you know, um intentionally getting together the fellowship just to break out of this comfortable place that we're in. And now maybe you'll have an opportunity to understand the anger, understand the hurt when something like this happens, um, that we all are on the same page, so to speak, in understanding why this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm for, I'm all for going to the black churches because they got better music. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a simple but complex situation and, 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 and problem, you know, um, because we're all, our mindsets are all different in how we think about things and how we understand things. Um, but it really simply comes down to love. It really simply comes down to loving my neighbor, you know, knowing that, you know, that person on the opposite, opposite me, no matter if they're black, white, brown, or yellow, they're a human being with, with, with feelings, with, uh, with pain, with struggles, with everything that I'm going through, they go through, um, and, and, and respecting that, you know, um, if we just did that, that would go a long ways in taking care of this problem. So each of the roles that you've been talking about, being a police officer, a pastor, and a black man, they're all roles that you've talked about, uh, that put you in a different perspective when you, um, when you talk, people are going to misjudge where you're coming from and have like kind of lumped you into a group sometimes. And, and how do we enter those conversations and, and promote healing and, um, and hope 
when we know people are going to be yelling at us and misjudging what we say. Cause like, I, I know when I talk, I've been laughing about this, that I have been yelled at in the same week and dismissed as like, Oh, you're a Republican and I'm not going to listen to you. And then I'm like, well, and then the same time somebody was calling me a Democrat and I was like, I don't even know what that issue has to do with the discussion, but they, once they put that label on me, they felt like they no longer had to listen to me. And so you've got three areas that you're talking about where people are going to just shut you out and say, well, this is you, you feel this way because you know, you're a black man or because you're a preacher, or you're a police officer. How do you still enter those conversations and navigate them with that kind of mentality happening? Okay. So, um, one of the things that I do, um, and it's just something I've gotten the practice of doing, and it has has served me really well um, is when I'm on the job doing my job, if I have to arrest someone, if I have to uh, encounter someone um, now, I understand that I still have to do my job, but at the same time, I can still put myself in their shoes. So I could try to understand what they might be going through and what they might be feeling. And, and by doing that, um, I'm able to relate to them more, even though, I'm there to take their freedom away, you know, even though I'm there to as kind of a, a bad omen in their life, um, I can still put myself in their shoes and say, you know what, if I was this person, how would I feel? If I was this person, you know, what would be going on in my mind right now? You know, and, and, and by being able to do that, um, it opens up the ability to communicate right uh, with that person, you know, um, and, and I think if we can just somehow, you know, and I get it. You know, I, I get it. How can someone put themselves in, in my shoes? You've never been black before. You've never had to walk that road before. But but you can you can you can reach there. You can reach there. You can you can sympathize with them. You can say, you know what? You know, I, I've, I've heard of the plight. I, I, I've seen it. You know what I mean? I, I've heard from other conversations of people uh, speaking. You know what I mean? And I've, so I've heard racist sp- uh, uh, people talking. I've heard, I've seen people treat it poorly. And so I, I can, I can put myself in your shoes and try and understand um, how you're feeling. And, and, and if I can't go the full yard, I can go halfway. You know what I mean? And I can say, you know what? I, I'm with you. I want to, I want to be with you. I want to work this out with you, you know, because, you know, whatever it is, you know, when I was younger, um, my mom used to always say, you know, Wesley, Right is right and wrong is wrong. You know, it, it is what it is. There's there's right and then there's wrong. You know, and it doesn't and, and that doesn't uh change based on your color of your skin. Right? What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. So if if I could put my myself in someone else's shoes and say, you know, how would they feel about this? You know what I mean? Um then I, I can go a long way in having that conversation with them. Like, and a lot of times what it does for me in my job is it, it, it gives me to say, you know what? I need to explain to this person why this is happening. I need to explain to them what I saw, why I'm doing what I'm doing, uh, so that they at least understand why I'm here, why I'm intervening in this way, right? Um, and I find that once I do that, that breaks down any anger, that breaks down uh, 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 the fight and the other person that, that want to come against me because they're understanding that, Hey, I'm here because I have to be, and I'm here, um, uh, protect, to protect you and to protect others. And I have to do my job. Right. Um, and I think if, if we could kind of get to a point where we can, you know, be able to at least attempt to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, 
try to understand what they might be feeling, what they might be going through. Um, that would go a long way in, in, in the healing that needs to be done, right? Because what we're looking at is we're looking at um, decades of a systemic system that's, uh, that's really kind of uh, had its foot on the neck of the African-Americans, right? And, and people may disagree with that. They may, you know, argue that, but the proof is in the pudding, you know, I mean, we're here having this conversation because another black man has been killed. Um, so, and this this is a system that was set up long ago, you know, and, and it's the same system that we're working under today, you know, and, and, and what, hap- what needs to happen is that system needs to be changed. And I think, I believe, you know, that this whole thing, you know, George Floyd, you know, um, this movement is afoot because God's changing that he's breaking that old rule book and he's gonna make us have to make a new a new one you know um we're gonna have to look at things differently you're gonna see reform you're gonna see uh uh people thinking about people differently you know reacting differently you know uh different types of of sensitivity uh trainings and things going out uh just so that uh these things stop happening right and 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 if that's the case then i think we're we're moving in the right direction is it the the total heal all no uh, there's a lot of hurt under the surface. There's a, a lot of hurt under the surface, you know, um, and that's that's only going to be healed through time and through time of people doing right and doing the right things and honoring each other. Um, and then that'll start to, to right itself. Um, but until then, you know, um, it's just going to get worse and worse. You know, uh, you can kind of see where uh, maybe when the first person was killed, you know, they did quiet protests. You know, and hopefully that their message got across. But then another one gets killed, and and now that protest becomes a little bit more violent, and then someone else dies, and then that protest becomes more violent because people are getting more frustrated, they're getting more aggravated, um, and more angry. You know, and in my post I talk about uh, that word rage. You know, um, there's a difference between anger and rage. Right? Jesus was angry when he went into the temple courtyards and turned over the tables. That's a righteous anger. And, and, and when, when, we're, when we're angry in that way, we can create change. But when we're enraged, we're out of control. And, and there's never going to be change that takes effect when we're enraged. And, um, and unfortunately, because of the built-up um, oppression, for lack of a better word, um, there's a rage that's in the hearts of the African-American community. And, you know, and that rage is being being loosened where you see them destroying things in the community and, and so forth. Um, I, I saw an interview the other day with someone and they said, you know, why are you destroying your, your own community? You're destroying, you know, your own businesses and things like that. And the person was like, what are you talking about? We don't own these businesses. Right? It, it, we can't own these businesses. We don't have the, you know, they won't let us own these businesses in these places. So you can see um, where that anger is and, and why they're lashing out in such a way that they are. And, and believe me, I was in a mindset to saying of saying, I understand protesting. I don't understand the destruction. And, and I still really don't understand the destruction, but I can now kind of see a little bit more why that anger is, is, is lashed out in such a way. What has been really interesting to me is to have worked with people um, overcoming abuse 
And then see how as a system, we apply those same kinds of um, control over people when they're hurting. And like, I've seen dysfunctional, abusive fathers, you know, hurt their child and then yell at them for reacting to the hurt that they're feeling. And that's the same kind of thing that's happening when you feel like you've watched this racism and, you know, against your own people for years and, and feel like nothing's changing. And then people are like, well, you can't, you know, you've lost your voice. You can't say anything about it now because you're being too emotional. And, and that's something that I really, really hurt for seeing that. And I, I know that the, we want the violence to stop, but I think it's understandable how people have gotten there when they feel unheard for so long. Um, and, and I actually, I was feeling like my heart hurt when you were saying, well, we need to listen to um, put ourselves in other people's shoes because I was like thinking about how quickly I get mad. And I'm like, we've talked about this for two weeks and you're still <laughs> arguing with me. So now I don't care about your shoes anymore. <laughs> and you're sitting there saying that. And I'm like, oh, I'm saying I need to grow in this. a lot. <laughs> so I'm a little convicted. I need to go spend some time with Jesus. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. I mean, the truth is we're all part of the problem. We all are. You know, um, so we all have to be part of the problem of fixing it and solving it. Mm. And I really love what you said about how if we were loving one another, you know, which sounds nebulous, but you're absolutely right. These these issues wouldn't be happening. And um, how how do you feel about, I guess, would you say that? Jesus's love is the one that gives us the ability to see that we have worth and value. And then we're able to see other people as worth and value. So the more we're filled with his love, if maybe we can unplug for a little bit and spend more time with him in these tumultuous days, we can see what his, how, what he's saying is how we can love other people and even have grace for maybe ways that we've failed, but he's, Jesus is the one who gives us that love for others. And the one who, who shows us that people have that inherent value because he made them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I think we have a, uh, we have kind of a messed up definition of love. You know, um, we always, you know, love has been described in our, in our community, in our society as, uh, this happy, joyful, you know, carefree type of feeling that everyone gets. And, and that's love, you know, and, 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 and this is how I express my love, right? But um, love is much deeper than that. Love goes much, much deeper than that. Um, and, and love, sometimes love is, is being the other officer that's standing there watching, saying, hey, he's had enough, get off. Um, sometimes love is doing the hard thing. You know, having a hard conversation. Uh, sometimes love is, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and and, and stepping into a place that's uncomfortable. Um, sometimes love is, you know, um, telling someone, "Hey, that that idea or that thought or that thing that you just said is wrong." You know, um, and it's being it's confrontive. Sometimes love, you know, and I think we have kind of this wrong definition of it. Um, so when we talk about love, loving each other, you know, we get these visions of you know, uh, back in the '60s, and the uh, uh, the uh, 
um, happy times and you know everybody's free love and all this stuff. But 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 the love that God uh, showed um, us, it it was an unconditional love. It it was a love of sacrifice, right? So it was a painful love. Um, and this is the love that needs to come out right now. This is the love that the world needs to see right now, you know. And I believe that the church is the only um, place where we can display this love because this is the only love. This is how we. This is the love that we can see and we can understand. So, um, so when I say love, you know, um, loving your neighbor, right? Doesn't mean you got to invite them over for dinner, right? But it does mean that I have to watch out for them. That if there's uh, something going on or something wrong, then I should be the first to step to help them. You know, um, you know, I should be the good Samaritan, you know, and, and be willing to help out my fellow man, no matter the cause or situation that goes on. Um, if we can do that, I, I believe that that's a very good step in the right direction. Mm, absolutely. And you are having um, a rally point men's talk coming up. It's on June 13th at 10 a.m. and it's going to be live on Facebook. It's going to be live on YouTube and sacredexchange.com with some really great speakers. You're going to be speaking um, Pastor um, Donovan Woodruff, Pastor Tony Palau, Mike Caparelli of Unmuted, um, Pastor Frank Reedy from Sacred Exchange, um, Bishop Jeffrey Williams. how did you get the idea to put this together and why do people, why would it be really good for people to tune in? And you, you know, all people can tune in and just listen to this and listen to this, this maybe this difficult conversation, but why did you put this together and um, what do you hope comes out of this? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, as part of the rally point men's ministry, we have a yearly men's conference. And uh, part of the yearly men's conference that we do, we have what's called, and part of that conference is called the Man Talk se- uh, Session, where we have a panel of, of men that come in and we talk about men issues. Um, and so this year we couldn't have the conference because of the coronavirus. Um, and so I'm thinking to myself, you know, what can we do? We can't have the conference. Uh, what's another avenue that we can do to uh, reach out to men? And um as I was just sitting down thinking about it, you know, and then this happens, I'm like, you know what? The, the thing that's been on my heart is that, that the church, the church really hasn't come out and, and, and said anything, you know, like where are all the pastors? Where are the people of God? Where, where are they? Like, you know, there's no press conference with, you know, United pastors standing together saying, you know, uh, we condemn this, you know, but we want people to show love. You know, we don't, I didn't see any of that. And I'm like, you know, this, this is what we need to do. Um, so, you know, I, I reached out to Bishop Jeff Williams and I, um, I, I said, you know, I have this thing on my heart. Like I, I want to have the man talk session, you know, and I want to get this panel of pastors and I want to have this hard conversation about what's going on. I, I think the church needs to address it. I think there's a lot of Christians out there that don't know how they should be or what they should be doing in this. And, you know, um, and because of it, you know, they've taken a sideline approach, you know, because they're not sure what they should be doing. You don't want to be out of line or anything like that. You know, you know, us Christians. Um, so, so, 
So we need to have this conversation um, so that, you know, people can kind of get an inside look and, and, and some men of God can stand up and say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's how we feel about it. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, here's, you know, what we as Christians should do about this. Um, and so he, he thought it was a great idea. And he gave me a really uh, great piece of advice. He said, if you're going to do it, you need to start at the end. So basically start at what you want to get out of this. And then work your way backwards, forwards to the front. So I was like, okay, that's good. So, you know, I, I reached out to Pastor Tony uh, Palo of Restoration Church. Um, I reached out to uh, Pastor Frank Reedy and Pastor Mike Caparelli. And I, you know, invited them and Pastor Wood, Donovan Woodruff. And I invited them to be on this panel. And, and we sat down and we talked. And, you know, one of the thoughts that came to mind during the, the COVID-19 uh, situation was, and I, I know this is kind of a worn out thing, but, you know, normal is not going to be normal anymore. Right. I don't, I just don't really think we're going to go back to normal. Right. So if we're not going to go back to normal, then that means that um, we need to come up with some new innovative ways of doing things. For instance, restaurants. So, you know, it's, it, it may not be so easy for them to open their doors up and have people come in and sit down for dinner and people might not be so, so, willing to come in and sit down for dinner, right? So someone is going to have to become innovative and figure out a way to change the restaurant industry in order to accommodate people, in order to have their businesses operate. And, and you know what? Mankind has come up with great inventions in times like these. This is when we've come up with our greatest inventions, right? So, so we basically have to redefine how we think about things and how we go about things and how we operate in, in situations. And so as I was starting to think about that, I'm like, well, we're in the same place here as a church. We need to redefine how we, how we approach these issues of race, issues of race, right? Um, illness, you know, how many Christians should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I, you know, not, you know, uh, should my church not hold services? Should they hold services? You know, and, 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 you know, how should I feel about this whole race thing? Should I be angry? Do I have a right to be angry? I mean, all of these questions that Christians have that they don't know what to do with, um, um, I, I think they need to be addressed, you know? And um, so, you know, I, I believe, you know, the Lord really put this heavy on my heart um, and I'm going to moderate this panel and, um, we're going to have this conversation, and, and, and I pray that it's a transparent, open conversation where we can uh, just discuss, you know, real issues, and um, people can can kind of get some answers to some of the questions that they have. And, and I'm hoping that out of this would come um, that the Christian would would redefine how they do things, uh, would redefine the way they think about things, the way they approach things, uh, the way they, uh, way we, we preach the gospel, the way we uh, tell people about Jesus Christ, um, how we display that, what that looks like. You know, like I said before, being intentional about things, getting out of our comfort zones, you know, um, and, and redefining this whole movement. Yeah, that's so important. Absolutely. And we're going to put information on our show notes and put on our uh, Facebook page and our um, website about how people can tune in to this um, men's discussion, which it sounds like it's going to help a lot of people because it's cutting across every section we can have this. And what I hear from you is that 
if someone disagrees with you about some kind of point or that kind of point, we can still value them and come together and still find that common ground because we're believers in Jesus and we're not trying to shut each other out. We're trying to say, come to the table and let's have this discussion. And that's why it's so valuable. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And everybody on this panel doesn't agree with everything everyone thinks on the panel, you know, but we can come together and love. You know, and and we can we can listen to each other. We can yes. have a debate. You know what I mean? And and, and leave there with some deeper understanding, yes. and, and maybe even a change of thought. You know, um, uh, and that's powerful. Yeah, I I heard somebody say this week something that I loved. She said, um, "I want to get it right, not be right." And I was like, that's so true. And I think, mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah. we say, "I don't want to be." You know, you're more concerned with being right, but I think what we need to be concerned with is like on this issue, we need to get it right. (laughs) We need to get it right. Got that right. You get it right. You know, and one of the, one of the things that I'm telling guys all the time, you know, uh, and an issue of being right, you know, God doesn't say that we have to be right all the time. Um, And there are times when we are right, but we have to take a, a, a lower stance on things. You know, there's times when you are right, but it's not worth beating something to death for the sake of relationship. Relationship is way more important than whether you're right or wrong, you know? And, and sometimes we have to kind of give up that position that we'd like to take when we're in the right place. I'm right about this. Sometimes we have to give up that position for the sake of relationship. Uh, Jesus said, you know, if you're at the altar and you're about to sacrifice and realize that someone has ought with you. And, And what's interesting about that is he says that, if you realize that someone has a problem with you, not that you have a problem with someone, but someone has a problem with you, leave your sacrifice, go repair broken fellowship, and then come back and make your sacrifice. So that's how big and how important relationship is to God. You know, so so for us, we have to, you know, be able to say, you know what, I don't have to be right in this. You know, it's okay. I love you. And because of relationship, you know, it's okay. It's okay if we disagree. It's okay. And I can still love you and I can still, you know, fellowship with you and I can still be around you and, you know, and hug you, you know, and, you know, and it's okay because we're different people and, and God's made us that way. And this is okay. Right. And the enemy would want to divide us. Absolutely. You know, if we had to agree with everything, no, probably no one would go to church. And you've probably seen that, you know, that, that we're getting together for a common pers- purpose to glorify the Lord and, what is greater than that's that's our great purpose no matter what we're called to with our profession um no matter what we're doing day to day and you're you're embodying that by having this rally and doing the men's ministry and just being there to have that conversation because the word that comes to mind is humility you're not you know thinking less of yourself but you're thinking you're you're letting the conversation be that we're talking as equals not that I'm up here and you're down there. And I think that's that's really powerful. Not only that, it's modeling it for the younger generation because they want to see that that you care and that we care. And I know Cindy's work with youth, you've worked with youth at Sacred Exchange, and that's really close to your heart too as a father to model that as a servant leader. So true. So true. You know, and 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 yeah, you know, humility is putting someone else above your needs, putting someone else's needs above your needs. You know, and, and um, we don't see a whole lot of that in the world. You know, um, maybe if we saw more of that, we'd see less death, you know, less abuse. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's so important. Mm. Well, I think we need to um, wrap it up. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have to listen to you speak at the Rally Point Men's Talk to get the final little piece of that simple answer. Because <laughs> you had an hour, we did fully finished solving all the world's problems. So we'll finish yeah. it there. No. <laughs> No, thank you so much for um, sharing with us today and giving us some insight and and hope and how we can keep moving forward. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on Hold My Ice Coffee. And, and we just can't wait to see how you continue to go out and, and show that love and humility. And we want to join with you and do that as well. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.